Section 8 of Secrets of the Woods. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Maggie Travers. Secrets of the Woods by William J. Long. Section 8. Coscomenos, Part 2. But the next day, when I came to the place, creeping along the upper edge of the alder so as to make no noise, the pool was clear and quiet, as if nothing but the little trout that hid under the foam bubbles had ever disturbed its peace. Coscomenos was clattering about the bay below as usual. Spite of my precaution, he had seen me enter the alders, but he gave me no attention whatever. He went on with his fishing as if he knew perfectly that the bear had deserted his bathing pool. It was nearly a month before I again camped on the beautiful lake. Summer was gone. All her warmth and more than her fragrant beauty still lingered on the forest and river, but the drowsiness had gone from the atmosphere, and the haze had crept into it. Here and there birches and maples flung out their gorgeous banners of autumn over the silent water. A tingle came into the evening air. The lake's breath lay heavy and white in the twilight stillness. Birds and beasts became suddenly changed as they entered the brief period of sport and of full feeding. I was drifting about a reedy bay, the same bay in which the almost forgotten kingfisher had cheated me out of my bear, after eating a minnow that my paddle had routed out for him, shooting frogs from my table with a pocket rifle. How different it was here, I reflected, from the woods about home. There the game was already harried. The report of a gun set every living creature skulking. Here the crack of my little rifle was no more heated than the plunge of a fish-hawk or the groaning of a burdened elm-bough. A score of fat woodcock lay unheeded in that bit of alder tangle yonder, the ground bored like a colander after their night's feeding. Up on the burned hillside the partridges said, Quit, quit, when I appeared and jumped to a tree and craned their necks to see what I was. The black ducks skulked in the reeds. They were full-grown now and strong of wing, but the early hiding habit was not yet broken up by shooting. They would glide through the sedges and double the bogs and crouch in the tangle till the canoe was almost upon them, when with a rush and a frightened hark-hark they shot into the air and away to the river. The mink, changing from brown to black, gave up his nest-robbing for honest hunting, undismayed by trap or deadfall and up in the inlet I could see grassy domes rising above the bronze and gold of the march, where Muskosh was building thick and high for winter cold and spring floods. Truly it was good to be here, and to enter for a brief hour into the shy, wild, but unharried life of the wood folk. A big bullfrog showed his head among the lily pads, and the little rifle, unmindful of the joys of an unharried existence, rose slowly to its place. My eye was glancing along the sights when a sudden movement in the alders on the shore, above and beyond the unconscious head of Chigwoolitz the frog, spared him for a little season to his lily pads and his minnow hunting. At the same moment a kingfisher went rattling by to his old perch over the minnow pool. The alders swayed again as if struck. A huge bear lumbered out of them to the shore, with a disgruntled wolf at some twig that had switched his ear too sharply. I slid lower in the canoe till only my head and shoulders were visible. Mooween went nosing along shore till something, a dead fish or a mussel bed, touched his appetite when he stopped and began feeding, scarcely two hundred yards away. I reached first for my heavy rifle, 
then for the paddle and cautiously fanned the canoe towards the shore till an old stump on the point covered my approach then the little bark jumped forward as if alive but i had scarcely started when over my head swept Koskomenos with a rush of wings and an alarm cry that spoke only of haste and danger i had a glimpse of the bear as he shot into the alders as if thrown by a catapult the kingfisher wheeled in a great rattling circle about the canoe before he pitched upon the old stump jerking his tail and clattering in great excitement i swung noiselessly out into the lake where i could watch the alders they were all still for a space of ten minutes but Muween was there i knew sniffing and listening then a great snake seemed to be wriggling through the bushes making no sound but showing a wavy line of quivering tops as he went down the shore a little way was a higher point with a fallen tree that commanded a view of half the lake i had stood there a few days before while watching to determine the air paths and lines of flight that sheldrakes use in passing up and down the lake for birds have runways or rather flyways just as foxes do Mooween evidently knew the spot the elder showed that he was heading straight for it to look out on the lake and see what the alarm was about as yet he had no idea what peril had threatened him though like all wild creatures he had obeyed the first clang of a danger note on the instant not a creature in the woods from Mooween down to tukis the wood mouse but has learned from experience that in matters of this kind it is well to jump to cover first and investigate afterwards i paddled swiftly to the point landed and crept to a rock from which i could just see the fallen tree Mooween was coming my bear this time i thought as a twig snapped faintly then koskomina swept into the woods hovering over the brush near the butt of an old tree looking down and rattling clear out Cricky! clear out there was a heavy rush such as a bear always makes when alarmed Koskomina swept back to his perch, and I sought the shore, half inclined to make my next hunting more even chance by disposing of one meddlesome factor. "'You wretched, noisy, clattering meddler!' I muttered, the front sight of my rifle resting fair on the blue back of Koskomenus. "'That is the third time you have spoiled my shot, and you won't have another chance. But wait, who is the meddler here?' Slowly, the bent finger relaxed on the trigger. A loon went floating by the point, all unconscious of danger, with a rippling wake that sent silver reflections glinting across the lake's deep blue. Far ahead soared an eagle, breeze borne in wide circles, looking down on his own wide domain, unheeding the man's intrusion. Nearer, a red squirrel barked down his resentment from a giant spruce trunk. Down on my left, a heavy splash and a wild, free tumult of quacking told where the black ducks were coming in, as they had done, undisturbed, for generations. Behind me, a long roll echoed through the woods. Some young cock partridge, whom the warm sun had beguiled into drumming his spring love call. From the mountainside, a cow moose rolled back a startling answer. Close at hand, yet seeming miles away a chipmunk was chunking sleepily in the sunshine while a nest of young wood mice were calling their mother in the grass at my feet and every wild sound did but deepen the vast wondrous silence of the wilderness after all what place has the roar of a rifle or the smell of sulphurous powder in the midst of all this blessed peace i asked half sadly 
as if in answer the kingfisher dropped with his musical plash and swept back with exultant rattle to his watch-tower go on with your clatter and your fishing the wilderness and the solitary place shall still be glad for you and Mooween and the trout pools would be lonely without you but i wish you knew that your life lay a moment ago in that bend of my finger and that someone besides the bear appreciates your brave warning then i went back to the point to measure the tracks and to estimate how big the bear was and to console myself with the thought of how i would certainly have had him if something had not interfered which is the philosophy of all hunters since esau it was a few days later that the chance came of repaying koskamenos with coals of fire the lake surface was still warm no storms nor frost had cooled it the big trout had risen from the deep places but were not yet quickened enough to take my flies so trout hungry i had gone trolling for them with a minnow i had taken two good fish and was moving slowly by the mouth of the bay simo at the paddle when a suspicious movement on the shore attracted my attention i passed the line to simo the better to use my glasses and was scanning the alder sharply when a cry of wonder came from the indian oh bosh kosh see the second time i catch em koskamenos and there twenty feet above the lake a young kingfisher one of koskamenos's frowsy-headed wild-eyed youngsters was whirling wildly at the end of my line he had seen the minnow trailing a hundred feet astern and with more hunger than discretion had swooped for it promptly simo feeling the tug but seeing nothing behind him had struck promptly and the hook went home i seized the line and began to pull in gently the young kingfisher came most unwillingly with a continuous clatter of protest that speedily brought koskomenos and his mate and two or three of the captive's brethren in a wild clamoring about the canoe they showed no lack of courage but swooped again and again at the line and even at the man who held it in a moment i had the youngster in my hand and had disengaged the hook he was not hurt at all but terribly frightened so i held him a little while enjoying the excitement of the others whom the captive's alarm rattle kept circling wildly about the canoe it was noteworthy that not another bird heeded the cry or came near even in distress they refused to recognize the outcast then as koskomenos hovered on quivering wings just over my head i tossed the captive close up beside him there koskomenos take your young chucklehead and teach him better wisdom next time you see me stalking a bear please go on with your fishing but there was no note of gratitude in the noisy babble that swept up the bay after the kingfishers when i saw them again they were sitting on a dead branch five of them in a row chuckling and clattering all at once unmindful of the minnows that played beneath them i have no doubt that in their own way they were telling each other all about it end of section eight recording by maggie travers